0: We, we are family, we are brothers and sisters. And we, we come here with the amazing privilege to, to worship the Lord. I want to thank the um, just publicly the people who play the songs and put those things together. There's a lot of work and skill and practice that have gone into those things. And it is a joy to see them utilize those for the service of Christ. I was especially blessed by the, the song. Uh, there's uh, show us, show us Christ through the preaching of your word. show us Christ. Our loyalty is to him above all. and that's what we have in common. He is working, he He indwells each of us. What an amazing thing. Uh, and you know what? Not only the people that that serve in music, but the ushers, And then you to one another and the conversations that you have and the people that show up when people need meals, when people are suffering. You are the body of Christ serving one another and giving us cause to to glory in our Jesus. Um, Guys, it, it is indescribable what a treasure we have in one another. Though we are clay jars, but we all carry this treasure, this immeasurable treasure within us. Um, I am going to preach to you from the book of Revelation today. And I, I have to say that I am, I am completely inadequate, and I'm not trying to be humble. It's just the truth. I'm completely inadequate to, to show you Christ. But God's word is sufficient, and when it works with his spirit in your heart, we will see Christ. We have that opportunity this morning. Uh, What I'm going to do this morning, don't blame the seminary. This is not how they trained us to do it. Um, It's a little bit of an experiment. We're going to walk, and I'm just going to tell you this, so you can get yourself geared up and ready. We're going to walk through Revelation 1 through 3, anathema on me, but (laughs) God knew what he was doing when he put his word together, didn't he? And there is a certain rhythm to it, and it builds, and words and phrases are repeated, and it's meant to be taken together, and it's great to pull it apart, and, and we need to do that sometimes, but... If I want to, you know, if I want to bake a cake, I'm not going to taste the flour and then the cocoa powder. I want it all together, right? And I think this, this morning, because I'm not clever enough, we're going to walk through this. And I do believe God's word read aloud and, and commented on as we go through it will impact you if you have ears to hear. Um, because you have his spirit. So, With that being said We do need to pray And I need to pray And I say this every time that I preach But I sincerely believe it And I say this to remind myself That, that this stuff matters This is the substance of life Of what we are doing here today To worship and know And serve our Savior Who deserves our entire loyalty And and we come together as a body to hear the preaching of that word and to be changed. Because none of us are where we, are, where we need to be. And if, and if we love Christ, that's not a reason to be depressed. It's a reason to find out, Lord, you have done so much for me and I love you. How can I know you and serve you? Where am I wrong? Where am I drifting? So together right now, I'm going to pray, and I would beg you to pray with me at the same time, not just listening, but engaging in it, praying for me and for yourself and for one another, because as we are changed into the image of Christ, we bring honor and glory to him, we are effective lights in the world, And, and we do this together. And there's great joy in that. So pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we bow to you. We recognize that this is your church. Lord, we love you. And we long for you. And we want to know you. Father, show us Christ. Not just in in hearing it and preaching it, but in, in it making its way into what we believe. And how we view life. Build up this body. This group of people change us because you, are, you truly are worthy. So help us to understand that and to believe that in Jesus' name, amen. As we walk through this, there's, it's not going to be this highly organized sermon, but there's three big things that I want you to see. And the first is that Jesus is awesome. He is terrifyingly and gloriously awesome. And I mean awesome in every sense of the word. Not like, hey, cool, that was fun. But, but wow. Jesus is awesome. Number two, Jesus is coming. He's on his way. He's bringing everything together for that. And number three, Jesus is here. This glorious Jesus who is coming is here now. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his slaves the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his slave, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's me. (laughs) Blessed is he who reads it aloud. And it really is. It's really a blessing to read this aloud. There's just something about verbalizing it that just, just grips you. Blessed, happy, very much benefited is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear. That's you. You are blessed to hear this word today. Not my words, but the words of Christ. and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That might be you. It may not be you who keep what is written in it. Just because you're here does not mean that you keep the word of God. Guard it and follow it and do what it says for the time is near. John, the apostle John, verse 4, to the seven churches that are in Asia. He's not talking about China or Japan or India. He's talking about modern-day Turkey, the the Roman province of Asia Minor in the Mediterranean Sea. This is written to real people, real churches. This, isn't, uh, th- this wasn't some guy sitting up in an ivory tower making stuff up for fun. This wasn't Muhammad sitting in a cave or Joseph Smith staring at a stone somewhere in a forest. Making up stuff. This was real. This was written to real people. This was a real event that happened. And he says, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Jesus Christ is awesome because he is eternal. He is. He exists. He's alive now. God the Father is alive now. He's real. These are not just life principles for a better life. This isn't the best way to get the American dream. This is reality. We don't come to church to escape reality. And to forget reality. We come to church to remember reality and to live in light of it. God is that. There's no greater reality than that. He is your atmosphere. He exists. He was. He existed eternally before you. In all that time, He proved Himself faithful. He is. Powerful. And he has always existed. Number three, he is to come. He's not going anywhere. He's not dead or dying. He will always exist. He will always exist to make good on his promises. He's not going to be like one of those banks that... Closed up during the financial crisis. Everyone trusted their money to. You can count on God being there. And he will do what he says. Jesus and God the Father are one. They, this is said of both of them. That they are eternal. They existed in the past. They exist now. And they will exist in the future. Grace and peace from that God. What a, what a comforting Blessing. To know that grace and peace come from such an eternal God. And from the seven spirits are, who are before his throne. This could be the angels that it refers to later. Or it could be the sevenfold spirit of God. It could, it could be his spirit which is represented by the number seven. Which means it's he's everywhere. It's, it's complete. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ. Guys, Jesus Christ. I mean, that that song is kind of cheesy, but there is there is something about that name to us, isn't there? Jesus Christ is sweet. Though you've never met him, you love him. He is the faithful witness. What is a faithful witness? What does a faithful witness do? Well, first he knows stuff, right? He's seen it And he has testified Truly to it What he has done And said is always true He knows it to be true He knows it by experience Everything that he has said He, is, he knows what he is saying And he is the faithful witness He is the firstborn of the dead He's the first one To be resurrected in glory to live eternally He is the preeminent one And there will be many to follow We will all Be resurrected From him We will, be, we will come back from the dead Think about that guys We will follow Christ In his resurrection What do you have to fear? Are you afraid to die? You're going to be resurrected, and the other side of that is going to be so much better than here. And we will be with him, and we will be like him. He is the firstborn of the dead, and he is glorious, raised in glory, and he is our, he is our leader. And then the last phrase there at the end of verse 5, he is the ruler of the kings on earth. What? How do you view Jesus? What, what is in your mind when you think of him? Is it the little boy in the manger? Is it the 12-year-old who was wise in the temple? Is it, is it the humbled Messiah, the humiliated one, hanging on a cross? It's good to remember that he was those things, but that is not who he is today. Today, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Your Messiah and your Savior is far above all rule and authority. All of these arrogant fools who are the most powerful men in the world will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. These dictators that demand worship of themselves will bow to him. This is especially pertinent to these churches that he's writing to. This is written around the mid-90s of uh, the first century. During the, the Roman ruler, the emperor Domitian, it was his reign. And he ushered in a time of intense persecution. And one of the things that he hated about Christians was that they refused to acknowledge him. Get, listen, this is what he wanted to be called. Lord and God the emperor, and, or, or master and god. He demanded that title. And you know what's crazy? Is that the people gave it to him. Largely, not necessarily because they believed he was a god, but because they wanted his favor. And so there was, there was intense pressure in Asia Minor specifically They were very proud of being a Roman province, and they wanted that emperor's approval, financial favors, all that kind of stuff, and they put the pressure on believers to bow the knee to Caesar, to call him Lord and Master, and some of the Christians were were doing this, kind of Saying, okay, I'll do this outside, but in my heart I'm still a Christian. Because they were afraid of the persecution, afraid to lose their financial status, whatever it was. This is incredibly important to remember that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And they are serving his purposes. They are not outside of his rule our president for all the crazy stuff that he is doing is not outside of the control of god our current presidential candidates arrogant as they may be will one day bow and they are doing his will that's pretty amazing we serve a glorious savior who rules the kings of the earth and one day he will dash them like a potter's vessel. He will rule over them like a rod of with a rod of iron. These arrogant men. Jesus is also awesome because of this. Verse 5. To him who loves us. Man, what an amazing thing to consider that that ruler of the kings of the earth, the most powerful person. In the universe loves us. He's the faithful witness. He knows everything about you. And yet he loves us. How, how great a privilege that is. It's, it's an agape love. It's unconditioned. It's not, it is a promise to love, a commitment to love. And he will not go back on his promise to love his own. Look at what he's done for us. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Not just forgiven us. Not just cleansed us. Not just delivered us from wrath. He has freed us from from our sins. And what did it take for him to do that? It took the ruler, the king of kings, the glorious one, dying. you you think of how he was treated. can you imagine what those what can you imagine what the Roman centurion who was beating him and nailed him to a tree if 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 Christ's flesh was unveiled at that moment, how he would have responded? Can you imagine how terrified he would be realizing what he has just done? Jesus humbled himself remember in the in the garden when they came to, to grab him and Peter went to fight for him and Jesus says stop don't you realize that I could call uh, thousands of angels right now it's like a, it's like Jesus is holding the angels back from fighting for him he did that from from love for you the ruler of Kings of the earth did that and humiliated himself on a cross by his blood to do what? To free you from your sins. You're not, you're not a slave to your sins anymore. You're a slave to him. Boy, what a better master he is. He freed you from, freed us from our sins by his blood. And he made us a kingdom. Guys, we are not Americans first. We're not fighting for the sovereignty of the United States. We're not fighting for the glory of the United States. We are a kingdom of God. No matter what. That that crosses all borders and cultures. That is where our loyalty And not only are we a kingdom, but we are priests to God. You know, what is a priest? It's someone whose entire occupation is taken up with serving God. He is set apart completely for service to God. You are a priest of God. I am a priest of God. That's our relationship to him. We are priests. The priest's job also was to connect man to God. He would offer the sacrifices. He would teach them the law. He would make purification. We are are people set apart for service unto God whose purpose is in this world to declare his excellencies so that people might know the greatness of Jesus Christ. We don't live we don't have happy Christian marriages so people can think that we're awesome. That's not the point so that we have a pleasant ride through the world. That's not why we do this. Why why do why do you do this? Why do you obey? Why do you why do you show up to church? Why did you come today? Was it to get tips to live out the Christian American dream? Or was it to know Jesus Christ and be a servant set apart unto Him, so that you go out into the world as His priests, ambassadors for Christ? Why are you studying what you're studying? Why are you in seminary? Is it this? Is, this is something that this is something that I, that uh, I, I'm concerned about, and I watch in my own heart. And then as we go out into this Christian world. The, the, Christian, the Christian communities that we are a part of, that often we can stand up for sound doctrine and exegetical teaching and expositional preaching and, and uh, biblical counseling for our own glory because it makes us feel like we're right and has nothing to do with Christ, it has nothing to do with love for Him. Jesus Christ is... Everything. And he has freed us from our sins, made us a kingdom and priests to God, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are constantly growing in wanting that to be true. That our desire would be that he be glorified and that he have control. His glory, his control, God, do with me what you want. Kill me now or use me for 80 years. Do what you want with me. Do what you want with the world. Glory to you. Dominion to you forever. Amen. Verse 7. Okay, so Jesus is awesome. And we'll have more stuff to look at with that in a minute. He's awesome. He is coming, number two. Verse seven, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Behold, he is coming. He's coming on the clouds. He is returning. Is that part of your consciousness? That Jesus is on his way. says he's coming on the clouds someday it will be a day like this take take stock how does it feel right now it's gonna be a moment like this right before Jesus comes over those mountains on the clouds and he will come for his people and he will come to judge the earth listen that is our hope That that is the hope to which we were saved, that we would see him when he returns, to be resurrected, to be with him. Christianity is not Christianity if it's just about this life. It's about anticipating eagerly his return. Is there anything that we want more than his return? Why? Why? Why do we want anything more than his return when he will make everything right? When he will when he will set the world straight when he will rule in justice and power Why do we want anything more than that? When he will be glorified and every knee will bow to the one that we love and adore The clouds are coming and those who pierced him will see him there will be no mistake And they'll know it's him when he comes they're not going to be like, whoa, what was that? It's going to be boom. Oh, no. It's true, and it's here now. And those who have rejected him will wail, and they will they will melt. The, these rulers of the world, it says later in Revelation, they will call on the mountains and the hills and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. That's how intense Jesus is. And yet for those who, who are on on his favorable side, it will be glorious beyond description. That event is what we look to every day. That's what gets us through. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty he is outside of time, controlling all of it, bringing it all to the point that he wants it to be, which is Christ exalted on his throne, ruling everything. Everything is coming to that point. Verse 9, I, John, I told you it wasn't going to be organized. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Look at this. Look, this is what is involved in being in Christ in this world. John, I love this. The one who received the greatest revelation that in the history of the world, the revelation of Christ, he's, he calls himself. Look at what he says. He says, I'm your brother. And I'm a partner in the tribulation or the, the affliction that comes with being in the kingdom of God. In this world, we will have trouble. The apostles, uh, the apostle Paul in the book of Acts, they came back after a missionary journey uh, to Antioch, and they, they told the brothers, they encouraged them, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We, we, we must expect that. And our apostle John is a partner, a partaker in that tribulation and in this kingdom, this kingdom that is already and not yet, this kingdom that's been inaugurated, that heat that Christ is building, that we are now a part of but is not fully revealed, is not fully here. But he's a partner in that kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. It ta- The Christian life is one of patient endurance. It's perseverance, isn't it? not like a lazy river you know uh inner tube ride like at magic mountain where you just float around in circles you know just letting the current carry you that's not the christian life it's one that involves perseverance don't be surprised by that don't be thrown off by that it is hard and it is an act of faith for us to persevere through these tribulations it's not easy and it will not be easy. I mean, you guys know that, right? <laughs> you know that. Before his people, he will give them this endurance. He was the Apostle John was on the island called Patmos. It's a it's a big giant rock of an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, off the coast of uh, near Ephesus, off the coast of um, Asia Minor. It, it was a It was a colony where they sent criminals. And he was there because, basically because he uh, survived miraculously being boiled in oil for preaching Christ. So instead of just killing him, they sent him to this rock for Christ. And he says, I was a partner. I'm a partner with you on account of the word and the testimony. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day, Sunday, that's what they called it. It was, a, it was a specific Sunday. There was a day and time when the Apostle John was on Patmos on a Sunday, and he was in the Spirit, maybe a particularly worshipful time. I don't, I don't know exactly what that means, but he was in the Spirit, somehow ripe to receive revelation from God. I don't know. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. We just heard some trumpets here this morning whoever this voice was, it was like a trumpet. It was loud and rich. And it said, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea, to real churches, real places at a real point in history. I just think that's so important, guys. We don't we don't live theology that is abstract. This is real. So then he hears this trumpet blast of a voice saying this. Must have been incredibly startling. And he says, then I turn. Then I turned. You can just imagine him just turning to see what it was. To see the voice that was speaking to me. And on, on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man. Remember what Jesus called himself? Son of man. This also refers back to the book of Daniel. We won't get caught in the the details of all that. But I want want the impact of this to hit us that this this is Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is still a man? Like he was, he was resurrected, he's got a glorious body, but he's still a man somewhere. And I, and I don't know if this is what he looks like all the time, but this is how he's described. He was clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest, this long robe, like a, like a priest would wear and like a king would wear and he's he's shown there moving among these lampstands these lampstands it's, it's like um, in the temple in the in the holy temple there were these golden lampstands and one of the priest's job was to maintain these things so trim the wick you know fill it with oil kind of buff out some of the tarnish i don't know the grime that came you know the soot or whatever the, the priest go in and he's tending to it that's what's kind of depicted here, is this one that looks like, looks like a man moving back and forth in the midst of these lampstands, and it's like a priest tending to the temple, and in the midst of the lampstands, this son of man, his, the hairs, I'm sorry, verse 14, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. This harkens back to Daniel. For the Ancient of Days is depicted sitting on a throne, hair white like wool, glorious and just shockingly just stunning. His eyes were like a flame of fire. He's, he's a judge. You see it later in, in uh, when he speaks to one of the churches. He says that it says his eyes are like a flame of fire. The one whose eyes are like a flame of fire will come to judge the wicked. It's a piercing gaze, like with fire. It's purifying, and it's, and it, it lights up. It's exposing. His eyes expose the darkness and judges the wicked. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. He was pure. He's, he's, he is refined. No impurities are in him. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. He's powerful beyond description. And in his right hand are held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. The strength went out from his legs. He faints right there, just dead away. This seems to be the common theme of anybody that sees a glorious vision like like Daniel did multiple times. He just faints away a, in a vision. Um, uh, Isaiah, when he sees the Lord seated on a throne, he falls on his face. It's, it's intimidating. It is powerful. It is, it is terrifying. And it's overwhelming to the senses. That is the Lord that we serve. And I love this. Look at this. So he... Falls away as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Boy, that's comforting when the most terrifying person that you have ever beheld is the one that says, fear not. He says, I am the first and the last. I'm in control of everything. I'm above and beyond everyone and every moment. And I, verse 18, I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. The keys are, do not belong to these pagan gods, as they're so often depicted as having. Many of the pagan gods, the Egyptian gods, you know, have the, the keys to to Hades, to hell. To death, nope, that's not true. Jesus Christ does. These, these emperors, nope, they don't, they don't have the power of death. That's, that's in the hands of Christ. If you die in his service, that's in his hands. Who, goes, who dies and who goes to hell are in his hands. He controls that. He decides. Write therefore the things that you have seen and those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels, and the seven church are, uh, I'm sorry are the are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so this brings me to the third point. Look at verse one, chapter two. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, he just told us what those lampstands are. What are they? Churches. The Churches. So Jesus is awesome. Terrifyingly, gloriously awesome. He is coming. He's on his way. And he's here. This Jesus. Is here. He walks among his churches. He tends to them. He repairs them. He removes them. He's here. What is the the moral of the story there? If Jesus is here. It means that he knows. What goes on here. It says verse 2. I know your works. He knows your good works. Your toil, your impatient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So he knows the good that goes on. But verse 4, he also knows what is lacking. says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. It's amazing how much the Christian life and what Christ has called us to has everything to do with love. Love for God. Love for one another. Love for the loss that drives you to speak the gospel to them without this love you are nothing according to first Corinthians 13 this church has been very faithful in rooting out false doctrine and yet they've they're, they're cold. look at how Christ responds to this he says remember, Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. Okay, don't work on it. Don't think about it. it says repent. That's a word that's losing its popularity. Repent. And do the works you did at first. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knows your works... And he cares about your works. There's a, there's a weird thing going around Christianity these days that Jesus doesn't really care what you do. That, you, that he's just gracious, just covers everything, and, and it doesn't really matter what you do. Listen, this is the last book written in the New Testament. This was the last thing that Jesus decided to say directly to his churches. And is it, hey, whatever, guys, I got your back. Is that what he says? Yeah, hey, I know that you're messing around, but you know what? It's cool. No, sounds like a hipster pastor. Um He says, I know your works, and he says, repent and do the works you did at first. I'm not saying that you are saved by your works, but those who are saved will repent when they hear this. Because look at what he says. At the very uh Where are we at here? Ah, missed it. Well anyways, so have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. Repent. From where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Where's the grace in that? The grace is in the warning, the grace is in the time to repent. The grace is in letting you know there's something wrong and giving and letting you know what you need to do, not just letting you run off a cliff. That's grace. That's love. Notice, oh yeah, verse 7, that's what I was looking for. He who has, an, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not everybody has an ear. Only those that God has, whose hearts he has opened. And the ones who have this ear to hear will hear, <clears throat> and they will repent. You can be confident of that. As a believer, God will complete the work that he has started. And look, there are rewards. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So he, he, he commends their good works, warns them about their bad works, gives them the opportunity to repent. Those who hear, those who belong to him will hear and will repent, and they will conquer Whatever that thing is, they will overcome, and God will reward them. God will will give them eternal life. Proving to be his children, he will give them eternal life. Look at verse 8. Okay, so he knows your works. Look at verse 8. To the angel of the church is smarter, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Look at this. He knows your trials. The God who controls everything is all-powerful, who loved you and freed you from your sins, who is coming and is here. He knows your trials and your situation. He knows because he's here. Verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. There's obviously specific commands to a specific church, but he says this, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Believers endure. God strengthens his people to endure to the end, and then he gives them the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. They may die in this life, but will not be thrown into the lake of fire for the second death. Look at verse 13, just for the sake of time. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. I know your situation. I know where you live. I know what you're surrounded by. I know your culture. I know the temptations that surround you and the pressures that are there. He says, I have a few things against you. Some hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Hallmarks of a false teacher, immorality, greed, and idolatry, false ideas of God. Be careful. Watch out for, for doctrines that lead you down those paths. Therefore, repent, verse 16. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him the white stone and a new name written on it that no one knows except the one who receives it, okay? We're not gonna get into the details of what all those things mean, but I want you to see Christ knows your works, knows your trials, knows where you live, knows what you believe, and he will reward those who hold fast to him. Look at uh, Thyatira. It says, I know your works, your love and faith, but I have this against you, verse 20, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. God cares about that. And he cares. Look, this church was tolerating that within their congregation. And he calls them to deal with her. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. I will throw her on a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into the great tribulation unless they repent. And there's grace. There's the opportunity that though they are wicked and commit wicked deeds, they are given the opportunity to repent. Verse 23, And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. This accountability to Christ humbles us. It's it's what causes us to be patient with one another when we have differing convictions. Romans 14 you know, food sacrificed to idols and, you know, having different convictions about whether or not to worship on a Sabbath day or not. He says, we're all going to give an account to God. We will all stand before him to give an account. So be resolved not to throw a stumbling block in one another's way. You're going to stand before God. I want to I help you honor him. Help me. It's also the reason that you submit to your leaders. Hebrews 13, submit to your leaders as those who will give an account. Submit to them because they're going to stand before the Lord. And it's not going to be for judgment, but it will be for, for evaluation. You know, if, if if Jesus Christ was standing there and was giving, he knows everything. He knows all my motives and everything I've ever done. I know I'm going to stand there and go, oh. I wish I would have lived for his glory more. I wish I would have been more convinced of it. I wish I would have repented sooner. I wish I would have warned my friends. I wish I would have helped them. I wish I wouldn't have been so divisive, so angry. Why? Because he's so glorious. What am I doing? He has saved me. What am I doing? See, loyalty to Christ and that accountability to him drives us in everything that we do. Well, we could go on and on, but I think that gives you a a little bit of a taste. But look at verse 3. He says, I know your works, or chapter 3, verse 1. I know your works that you have a reputation for being alive but are dead. He knows hypocrisy. He knows when the reputation is not the same as the reality. Verse 8 says to Philadelphia, I know your works. Behold, I've set set before you an open door that no one is able to shut. I know that you have little power, and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan say that, you are, that, that who say they're Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Why? Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Look at that. That's all he wants. Hold firm to the faith. Hold to his word and keep it. And don't give your loyalty to something else. And don't compromise for the sake of money and and comfort. Hold firm to Christ. The God who is in control of everything, who is here, who is coming, who is awesome. Last, there's the church of Laodicea. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing but realizing that you are, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. There's no room for apathy in the Christian life. We have so much to be zealous for. The glory of Christ, the the greatness of this God, to whom we will give an account, to whom we owe our loyalty. And he will ensure that his people will turn and follow him. He will... He will make himself glorious in your eyes. Run to him and hold firm to this glorious Lord that we we owe everything. We're about to take communion. And it's not only an individual thing, but it's a corporate thing. We do it together. That we are all partakers of not only his death, but of his glory. We are forgiven and freed to live for him. Let's bring everything into that conformity and let's help each other. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are above all and you are over all. You are in all of us. You are here and we worship you. See if there's any harmful way in our hearts, Lord. Lead us in the way everlasting. We look forward eagerly to your return. And we're thankful that you are with us until that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.